0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. I'm going to need this Australian Open to calm down because the first five days were too much. I went to bed last night at maybe 7.30 a.m., got up at 2 p.m., went to work, came home, scarfed down pieces of sushi... And now I'm sitting here. Mm -hmm. That's all I've done. And now you're going to do it all over again tonight? And then I'm going to edit the entire episode by myself while you sleep and watch some more tennis. I just have to say for the record here, though, there's a
1: definite work imbalance for the two of us during this this Australian Open stretch. (laughs) During this tournament, yes. When I woke up in the morning, and for much of the first few hours of my workday, Daniel Medvedev was still playing. He finished his match at 3.30 a.m., Moment time, that was just before noon here. From the
0: start of the day, yesterday, day
1: five at the Australian Open
0: 2024 will live forever. Well, before we get into that, an update on the GoFundMe, <laughs> because we're still shilling. <laughs> Surprise! We are at 93%, almost. We're getting there. Thank you to everybody who's donated so far. You can find the link to... The GoFundMe at linktree.com slash serve. We've recently added our email there because it was brought to our attention that it wasn't. And that was a shocking omission on our part. Mm-hmm. You just designed the postcard that we'll be sending out.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not a graphic designer, but we did design a new postcard. Bookmarks are ordered. Well, as soon as we get those, we're going to start filling them out and sending them. So if you've donated 100 or more, please send us your address. And if your address has not changed from last year, uh, send us a quick note to say that.
0: I designed the postcard and you looked at it and you said, trash. And I said, well then, do better. And you did in like five <laughs>
1: minutes. Well, that remains to be seen. This Australian Open was supposed to be about the comebacks, right? Our last episode was called Comeback Kids. And it feels like it's becoming more about... Mm. Survival? Yeah. Uh, we had a number of of women returning from maternity leave, some players just coming back from long layoffs, whether it be for injury, inactivity, um, trying to find some peace and enjoyment in life <laughs> away from the tour. And there's only one left. All the comebacks have been
0: thwarted, except for Amanda Anisimova's, who is into the round of 16, opened play today, day six. Taking out
1: another comeback kid, Paula Badosa. Amanda has had such an unorthodox career. I feel she reached that Roland Garros semifinal five years ago. Now she's always been full of promise. She's had some big time wins. She's beaten Sabalenka four times. Let's remember, but I always kind of forget that because there are such long layoffs with her, injury, tragedy. Yeah. Her father passed away. Her father, who was incredibly important to her and her tennis career. She started painting last year and was selling her paintings for charity. She went to school for a little while. Now she's back. And in this first tournament back, she starts off by beating the top 15 seed, Samsonova. And she was a bit rusty, but what a joy to watch her... Strokes on the tennis court again. So smooth. Service motion is hitchless. Beautiful. And that backhand.
0: She will be playing Arena Sabalenka in round four. I see you have noted here that she could be playing Sabalenka, who she leads 4-1. Sabalenka just won 6-love, six 6-love, six taking out Sorenko. Wait, that just happened? Yes. Uh, how did that happen so fast? Well, in as it turned out with... So many other things in this week in the blink of an eye. Oh, get it? Mm. You will. The other comebacks. Caroline Wozniacki. She beat a hobbled Magdalenette in the first round, who had to retire, before she ran into Timofeeva in the second round. And when Timofeeva won that match, the look of complete
1: shock on Wozniacki's face as she walked to the net. She was shook. After that loss, Wozniacki had a very good U.S. Open, as you know. But I think it's becoming clear that she hasn't really added anything exciting to her game. We're not getting anything new, and that's fine. You're not required to do that. But I can't see how she's going to be super successful if she doesn't at least play more often. And I don't know what her goals are at this point for the comeback. It's it, it's just interesting to see that we're not really seeing anything new.
0: Whereas Svetlina came back
1: new. Right. And that's that's not realistic for everybody. Not everybody's going to do that or can do that. But there's such a contrast between the two. Right. But you take
0: years off. You're away from the tour for a few years. The game progresses. The, the mm-hmm. tour changes. There are new people, Timofeva, There's... Andreva, there are all these people who are now coming. You know, there's a constant cast of characters hatching, just waiting to snatch. Right. And Caroline was snatched <laughs> at this tournament.
1: It's just, it's not often that players can not play between the US Open and the Australian Open and come back fighting fit and, and in impressive shape. Serena is someone who could do that throughout her career. It got a hell of a lot more difficult as she got older. It's just not a normal expectation.
0: Raducanu looked good in the first round before she got entangled in an almighty battle with Wang Yafan in the second round. I have Yafan going deep into this tournament. As in, I did that in my racket
1: bracket. Did you? It's one of the few good choices I made. (laughs) Let's talk about... Wang, actually. Uh, there are a number of players with the surname. Yafan beat Kirste in the first round. Then, as you said, Raducano. She's... Thank you for your service. <laughs> right? We're talking Hall of Fame nomination, potentially. She reaches the third round. will play Zhang Wen. Just a little background on Wang Yafan. She won the Mexican Open in 2019. She is a WTA titleist. She beat Sophia Kennan back then. But she fell out of the top 100 early in 2021 and was playing mostly ITF tournaments. And the ranking fell so far that she was actually having to qualify for some of those ITFs. Fell into the 600s, and then just last year she wins four straight ITFs and then the Stanford 125. So now she finds herself officially back to number 94, will rise higher due to these wins, and it's just a pretty cool under-the-radar story. We
0: mentioned that Anisimova just took out Badosa. But up until that point in her first two matches, Paola looked really good. Mm -hmm. She beat Taylor Townsend in straight sets as well as Pavlechenkova. And when asked in press, you know, Paola, you didn't really expect to have this much success so quickly. What do you account for that? And she says, I don't know my talent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Garcia versus Osaka After everything that happened on day five, this seems so far away, and I don't know what we can add to the proceedings. Right, but it was
0: the comeback that was probably most anticipated, certainly by us. And as was the case in her first match in Brisbane, Naomi had the misfortune of playing somebody who was serve-butting, somebody who was Mm. goating on their serve. And just like in Brisbane, she wasn't able to do it.
1: She just had a baby last year, not too many months ago. Is the movement exactly where she would like it to be? Certainly not. It's early in the comeback. Is Garcia beating Osaka an upset? Not really. Not on paper. I think uh, a lot of people expected a lot more of Naomi, but this is an unfortunate first-round draw. And also, uh, maybe you know, maybe we were a little too overexcited. Let's just give her some time.
0: It's a matchup issue, too, right? If you play somebody who is serving that well, Pliskova, who many people consider one of the greatest servers in the women's game over the last decade, she's certainly led the tour in aces many of those years. Caroline Garcia, too, possesses a great service game when she's playing well. And so when you're met with that, this is the kind of thing that happens. Naomi serves well, so what? Your opponent is serving just as well, if not better. How is this going to be decided? I would have
1: loved to seen a few more matches from her, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. And that cookie crumbled hard in the next round. Garcia loses immediately to Magdalena Frech in a total stinker. Wow, that ah. was quite the segue. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was deserved.
0: Back to Naomi. Oh, okay. <laughs> she let us know about... Her plans for her schedule coming up and I think she's going to Dubai and then of course the Sunshine Double and whatnot well there was a lot of chatter about well uh, is that really the wise thing to do because you're going to be having these tough matchups pretty much every tournament that you show up at and what happens two three four tournaments down the road when you've had no success in terms of match wins because of this mm. you can play well but what does that serve you in this comeback? When you need to be building, you need to be winning matches, getting matches. Perhaps you need to go down a level, play some two fifties, go play in South America. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's that's something to keep an eye on. I think everybody, uh, everybody thinks they're Serena Williams <laughs> in her, in her prime, in her not so prime, in her youth. Let's let's say, yeah, you know where. You could have time off for whatever reason, and you come back, and it's like, well, I'm here. I'm me. I'm still me. It's just not, as you said, realistic
1: for pretty much anybody else. Right. Naomi's not going to do that. I don't. I just can't see her playing a series of 250s. Serena never did it. I think you maybe you can call it ego, you can call it whatever you want, but I just don't really see that happening.
0: The last of the comebacks that we'll talk about, Angelique Kerber. Losing in three sets to Danielle Collins in the first round. We were watching that match and
1: you thought it was going to be done and dusted in no time. Mm -hmm. And then... You definitely saw glimpses of Angie. You saw that great lefty forehand. There are moments within points where you're just waiting. Waiting for her to
0: stop this cross-court rally madness and just end it down the line. And we saw that quite a few times in this match. And that is the vintage Angie, Mm -hmm. the the Angie that is crouched on the baseline and redirecting balls, who is running side to side, impenetrable. We saw lots of stuff that she can hang her hat on. Again, though, you play a
1: first round and
0: it's Danielle Collins in Australia. It's going to be tough.
1: And then you see how Danielle played against Iga, and it's not an embarrassing loss by any means. It's an unfortunate draw, so it remains to be seen what's next for Angie's uh, return to the tour. She's played a number of singles matches. She has a number of losses. She has one win against Tomljanovic. There are pluses and minuses. I I don't know what to tell you. Fantastic analysis.
0: This is what the folks tune in for. (laughs) This tournament has been just upended by upsets. You have a fave, they're likely gone.
1: It's, it's wild. They've been dropping like flies. I woke up today scrolling through yesterday's schedule, and it was just, oh, Elena's gone. Oh, Dasha's gone. Oh, Alejandro's gone. My breakout pick for three years running. Well, He's out. That's on you. It is. Five out of the top ten on the
0: women's side are dismissed by the end of round two. Those include Rybakina, Pagula, Jabur, Vondroshova, and Sakari. On the men's
1: side, number eight Holger Rune is the highest seed that's been vanquished on this day five, which sort of resembles Wimbledon of what was it, 2013. The two of the top five women were knocked out of the tournament. That's Jesse Pagula, That's Yelena Rabakina, who was last year's runner-up, who was the Brisbane champion, but who surprisingly does not have a sterling career record. At Hardcourt Grand Slams. Well, I mean, she is the defending finalist from a year ago. She is, but that is pretty much the only standout result on Hardcourt's at Slams for her. How quickly the narrative changes. I think maybe we should have done better research in the preview episode. No, she's the
0: defending <laughs> finalist. She won in Brisbane. What is there to talk about? She won Indian Wells. Fine. Exactly. The day yesterday... It started with Iga Świątek against Danielle Collins. Iga won the first set. What was it? 6-4 or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was very tight. Very tight. And then Danielle looked to be just running away with the second set. What was she up? 5-1 one at one point. And then the double faults came.
1: Four in one game. And here she comes. Here comes Iga. At 5-2, Danielle had set point, set point, set point, set point. We just took like a two-minute break because you struggle with flash score and following the Do you expect me to remember these specific points in matches? I can't do it. My brain is useless. We literally just watched it last night.
0: In fact, yeah. you were you were paying full attention to it. I was Doing some work on the computer and not watching the match. And I still remember what happened just from
1: listening. Fine. It's 5-1. Danielle is serving for that second set. We get set point after set point after set point. We've got a number of double faults. I believe four double faults in that game. Is, as that, you what, said. is that what no it is, score says? No, it's coming back to me oh, now is. because I tweeted about it. Oh, because I said it, but you didn't believe but me. But how was I? I couldn't remember what game that was in. <laughs> Tune into a different podcast if you want, you know, accuracy. <laughs>
0: Wow, I've never been more second-guessed in my 10-year career on this podcast than I've
1: been in the last three minutes. By an incompetent person. (laughs) Um, Anyway, she managed to get out of that second set, 6-3. Third set, we've got a real momentum swing here. Danielle is up 4-1. Now, if you've watched Iga before, you're not counting her out. You're not assuming that this match is over. But Danielle is slamming the ball... She is so aggressive on return. But this 4-1 is double
0: break 4-1. Not a single break 4-1, a double break Mm -hmm. 4-1. So she went up 5-1 in the second set, struggled to close that out, went up double break in the third, serving for 5-1, and was unable to close that
1: out. Yes. Now, this, of course, as usual, is a combination of factors. Danielle was nervous. She struggled to close it out. But Iga's performance from 1-4 should be studied. She was incredible. They were still tussling toward the end, but she made it very, very difficult for Danielle because Iga was still hitting winners. She was forcing errors and just felt like a different player, like she clicked into another gear and it was deeply impressive. I think it was impressive.
0: I also think that Danielle slipped. I agree. Her level dipped. Ego was hampered. You could tell. Even in Mm -hmm. her movement, she put that little strapping around her knee. Even though she was playing well, she was playing consistently, this was not the ego of the first set.
1: No. That
0: that orchestrated this comeback to win the match. This was somebody who hunkered down, decided to not make errors, was consistent, and forced her opponent
1: into errors. That's what I saw. Yes, but it wasn't... She wasn't playing risk free tennis. You know, she no. was still being aggressive, even though she was supposedly hampered by the knee. And you saw it sometimes, you saw it in between points a little bit, but in points, I don't know, it was hard for me to tell if she was, if it was impacting her a lot. And she even said it afterward, uh, you know, athletes are definitely going to downplay an injury when asked on court. She said, yeah, the knee thing is there. I'm not that worried about it. It's not a big deal.
0: She said it's something that she's been dealing with since Cancun. Mm -hmm. Since the WTA championships last year.
1: I just think that was a a bit of a mix of Iga really forcing the issue of convincing herself, well, I'm not going to lose this. Certainly not in this way. And some of those topspin forehands down the line are just perfection. What she does better than maybe anybody in
0: tennis, man or woman, is her rally ball is so impactful. She hits these seemingly innocuous balls that look like they're going long, but it's the Mm topspin, dear. And it's going to drop inches in front of the baseline. It's going to cause you problems. And the control that she has on those shots is what separates her from pretty much everybody else. Because Danielle is out here hitting it flat. Rabakin is out here hitting it flat mostly. When you see the boom, 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 boom tennis, it's mostly flat tennis. Iga, it's just totally different and so much more effective than most folks up there.
1: Yeah, a few of those cross-court forehands with a lot of spin on them that seemed to just sort of dip on the line, a fraction of the line and skip right off of it, had Danielle frustrated. And Iga had to deal with Danielle's box as well. I know a lot of people were annoyed by the noise they were making, this is what Danielle's team does. It's a different team than a few years ago, the the bro team, but they are still very loud, and she demands it. It's always amusing to me when players scream at their box and get angry when they're not being demonstrative enough. I guess if you're getting free tickets and stuff, you have to work for it.
0: And a trip to Australia. <laughs> Shortly after this match ends, Danielle goes into press And we get the news that, well, this is going to be her final year on tour. At 30 years old, Danielle Collins will be retiring at the end of the 2024 season. She even says she doesn't know when in 2024 it's going to happen, but it's Mm -hmm. this year. At some point. So at at some point, she's just going to bounce. And that's it. Which has been the case for varying reasons throughout her career. She goes away for a while. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Had to deal with endometriosis,
1: with fibroids, with all this stuff rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. and she's said before that she has a quiet life she likes a quiet life she likes being away from tennis she's looking forward to being a mother that's very important to her and she's kind of over it at this point which good for her good for her but it makes me sad because we saw someone play at this incredibly high level yesterday and challenge the world number one and nearly knock her out of this tournament well it's not about you james no definitely not but we're allowed to have feelings, you know? That was how the day
0: started. While this match was going on, on the men's side, that guy was playing, and he ended up going five sets. That set the tone for the day, this endless stream of men's five-setters. And I was at work at the time when this match was going on, and my manager said to me, these two guys, are they any good? And I said, well, one of them is not ranked very highly, but the other one is a top player who's been credibly accused of... Domestic violence by two of his former partners, one of them being the mother of his child, and his immediate response was, "Then why is he playing and It was such a moment of clarity, and so i I followed up and gave some more context on you know the the history of it, the court cases, why Olia didn't go to court, why Brenda did what's the current state blah 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 blah, and he cut me off, and he said. Okay, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. Why doesn't the the league can do something about it? I'm like, oh my god! It's like the the clouds opened, the heavens opened, and it's this moment of clarity that we just do not get ever. And this is from somebody who says a lot of problematic things.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was helpful when you told me that because at some point during this, you're thinking: Are our expectations just very skewed? Are we the ones who are wrong here? But in other sports, oh, this would that. be a normal thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely not that. And then he came back to me later to follow up and he said, I'm pretty sure the PGA has a policy and the NBA and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so that guy gets pushed to five sets by the Slovak qualifier, Lucas Klein. It lasts about four and a half hours. He makes it through.
0: We'll get to it with yeah. the big story with him this week. Let's get back to the upsets. Let's kind of move through these pretty quickly. Well, no, let's what? we have one we have to spend a lot of time on and then so, we and then we can move through first,
1: quickly. First first tell me about the big one. Tell me about what happened with Rybakina and Blinkova.
0: We got the longest tiebreak in the history of slam tennis. Period. By at least what four or five points?
1: Yes. Four it went so
0: longer than the next closest. It went so long that I dug up a Barbara Walters gif in real time. I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where you were going with that, <laughs> but I still like it. It was, it was crazy. At one point, the chair empire was laughing before he called the score because it's just preposterous.
1: Think about, it's hard to understand what it's like to be in a tiebreak when it gets past a certain point And in succession, you have to think about holding a match point. Either being down a match point or trying to convert a match point. Every moment is so high stress and you need your entire brain working. I just can't imagine being under that sustained pressure for 32 minutes.
0: This is when you just become a little bit mad. You enter into, I guess people refer to it as being in the zone. But this is even beyond that. This is just in a blind absurdity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where
1: people call it a flow state you're outside
0: your body you're outside anything you've known or experienced before but you're there and you just have to go with it you cannot allow yourself to think too much you just have to go and that was made evident by some of the shots that we saw in that tiebreak what it means though for the draw is that one of the biggest favorites is out in round two this is a big hole in the draw on the woman's
1: side it's definitely good news for Iga Fiontek That's the top half of the draw. Iga's not out of the woods yet. She was given a very difficult draw. It continues. Ostapenko might still be in her way. But yeah, this is the runner-up. This is the champ uh, two weeks ago in Brisbane, or a week ago. Blinkova saved six match points. Rybakina saved nine match points
0: before Anna won on her 10th.
1: Small consolation, getting this title of longest tiebreak in a grand Slam when you've lost the match. It'll go down on history books, but you're still out. Jessica Cola lost.
0: It wasn't until I was trying to go to bed last night that I actually saw this result. Somehow it had missed me completely.
1: losing in straight sets to Clara Burrell and then pulling out of doubles.
0: Runa lost to wildcard Archu Casot. It's
1: French, right? Yes, in four sets. Kazo apparently has only won three main tour-level matches in his career, and this was one of them. Runa played the first two sets in the
0: sleeveless. Didn't go so well. Put on the polo, typical, you know, Mm. tennis shirt with sleeves. Won the third set, but eventually lost in four. As
1: I mentioned, Davidovich Fokina lost to Borges. Sloane Stevens beat Dasha Kazatkina. Sloane is feeling herself. She is... Sassing the press, Sloane played out of her mind in that third set. Somehow, through all of this carnage yesterday, Felix made it through in four sets. Ostapenko and Tom Tomljanovic meet in the second round. There was some chatter uh, earlier. Someone asked Isla how they were doing, uh, if there was any remnant of the beef that happened at Wimbledon in, I think twenty twenty one, where Isla accused Yelena of faking or overblowing an injury, and there was a bit of a verbal tussle between them. They both landed a few good digs in that little disagreement in front of a whole lot of people on a small court. But Isla said, no, no, there's no beef. I respect her so much as a player. After Ostapenko beat Isla yesterday in a great match, they had a very nice, Little handshake and smile and encounter at the net. It was so cute. I loved it.
0: I mean, a great match. Can it really be great if it involves a first set bagel? Yeah. In 18 minutes. I guess <laughs> that is noteworthy. Indeed. <laughs> the beef is over. A few of the first round matches of note. Brenda Fruvitova beat Anna Bogdan, Elena Korneva, Soribes Tormo. Those two teenagers scored big first round upsets. Andrey Rublev avoided a lengthy, perhaps indefinite body serve ban by rallying to beat Zybush Vuj in five sets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pavlyuchenkova beat Vekic in straight sets. Yastrzemska, perhaps benefiting from an injured vondrosheva winning 6-1, 6-2, now into the third round. This is success that she has not known in quite a while. One of the best stories of the first week, Sumit Nagal beat Sasha Bublik 646276. If you recall, Nagal was the young upstart Indian player who played Roger Federer at night at the U.S. Open a few years ago. He's had injuries. He's on the comeback trail just outside the top 100 now, sadly losing his second round match. That would have been cool to Mm -hmm. see him make a deeper run.
1: There is a great piece in Defector about Samit Nagal this week that I, ch- I would recommend you check out.
0: Mira Andreva, deal with it. We have to deal with it. She's here. If you've been trying to avoid this ascendancy, it's unavoidable at this point. We said on the show in the preview episode that Ons would be in trouble potentially in the second round, that if you were looking for a hatching and snatching moment, that second round matchup would be it, and it was. And it was emphatically... Andreva, who speaks of Jabur as one of her all-time idols, just took her out in no time. Six love, six two. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the, the number seven, Vondrosova, the number six, Jabour, and then the number eight, Maria Sakkari out to Avanesian.
0: Third round queen Elisa Mertens does not reach the third round, losing to Marta Kostyuk. Just a, a, a bit of a pat on the back here. What Remember what I said about the Aussies at this tournament? That they could, given the crowd support, cause a ruckus in the draw. And quite a few of them almost did. Storm Hunter is into the third round. That is big news for her. But we've also had Jordan Thompson losing to Tsitsipas in four sets. Alexei Popperin giving it to Djokovic for three full sets. Should have won that third set and been two sets to one up. Eventually losing in four. Kokonakis, a DOA in the first two sets against a blitzing Grigor, found his way back into that match. And this is what I meant by this, etc., this crowd factor. Because without that crowd support, I doubt this would have been anything but a routine three set win for Grigor. Instead, he withstood the barrage <laughs> and closed him out in four. And Kokinakis cannot go cause some good trouble with his little friend on some podcast or something. Oh, no. The other one, Max Purcell, losing in five sets to Kasparud. So many of these matches could have gone differently. And for that reason, being the hometown, the home crowd, X-Factor. I feel like that plays more in Australia than anywhere else. Three final first round matches that we want to highlight. Oh, was it even a first round? Second round match. (laughs) Alicia Parks coming from 2-5 down in the first set against Leila Fernandez, winning five straight games to win the set, eventually winning 7-5-6-4. This is a chaotic individual. When you're watching an Alicia
1: Parks match, it is wild. If her feet are moving and the serve is booming, that was not supposed to rhyme. It doesn't rhyme, but uh, you need to watch out. But if you want to stand Alicia Parks, you have to be along for the ride because there are going to be a lot of bumps along the way. But what a great win over Leila Fernandez, who's been having a bit of a career resurgence, not like she really went anywhere, but on a pretty good swing for the past few months. Parks is now playing Coco Golf, uh, literally as we speak in the first game.
0: Etcheverry, who is Etcheverry, cute in oh, I, I my saw opinion. Your, I saw your tweet, yeah. Took out a couple of oldsters, as you have written here in thirty six year old Andy Murray and thirty seven year old Mofis both in straight sets. Yes, I did say on this agenda that Andy put in a drab performance. It was listless in spots. It was tough to watch, really tough to watch. He then went on to say that this could be his final Australian Open. He doesn't know, we don't know. Maybe he knows and he won't tell us yet. But there was speculation on air from Darren Cahill that perhaps Andy's carrying some kind of injury because this was not the type of play that Darren saw in private during practice sets against uh, Yannick Sinner. And so mm-hmm. this performance against Echeverry was very surprising to Darren. We'll
1: see. He'll play Djokovic in the night session today. That could be three players uh, over the age of 35 in a row. The last match to
0: highlight in round one was Felix auger Sim against Dominic Thiem. Felix prevailing in five sets. Yet another tough, tough result for Dominic team, if you recall he lost against a blitzing Rafa in Brisbane he just cannot catch a break with these draws and then to show up in Australia play Felix who hasn't won damn near anything in so long hasn't been playing well and still to get bested by him in five sets it's just been hit after hit after hit of the wrong
1: kind. To be fair, Felix did win Basel toward the end of last season. Okay, and what did he do for the
0: prior nine months?
1: Fair. The news about Zverev's trial date, about his election the Player Council, and his episode in Netflix Breakpoint, this has dominated the first week. The Australian press has been on to this story in a way that the print and broadcast media of other countries uh, maybe have not. There is also a convergence of all these things happening pretty much in the same week. And the thing that I think
0: has allowed this story to really develop that has given the impetus that has given folks the the needle hole to be able to thread is the fact that this guy was sanctioned by his peers to be on the Players Council. With everything that's going on, this news breaking that the trial is happening in May and oh, he's been elected to the Players Council and oh. This is one of the four biggest high-profile events where players are in the spotlight. Everything has come together to give folks the permission to pursue this story in ways that they haven't been able to before. Because now you can ask everybody. You can have all those little men show up in press and say, well, hey, what do you think about this? Why is he on the player's council? What do you think about that? Do you think that's right? Why did you elect him to player council? And so before
1: Zverev even gets to press, this has been going on for two, three days. All right. There's already been a referendum, essentially, in press. As you mentioned, the news broke this week that a hearing date has been set in May. This news was uh, broken by Jonathan Crane at DW.com, which is the German publication. Zverev was issued a penalty order at the tail end of last year, rejected it, and decided to appeal In German courts, a penalty order is basically an opportunity for a defendant to pay a fine and avoid a trial in a case where the judge feels like there is sufficient evidence for a trial and that a conviction is possible even likely. Upon appeal, you are treated as innocent until proven guilty under the law. He will go to trial in May. It sounds like he won't necessarily have to appear in person in May, but a judge can compel him to testify, but this news, coupled with his election and the Netflix series, it just doesn't it doesn't feel right to people, right? It's exploded out of our little tennis Twitter bubble, and it just doesn't make sense to the layperson. the layperson being your, my manager at work it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. When someone is under investigation, in this case, now you know now we're under criminal investigation. In many other sports, that person would be suspended while it was investigated. The ATB conducted a third-party investigation the year before last about the allegations from Olya Sharipova. In many sports, the player would be suspended until that investigation was concluded. Tennis is not that sport. Tennis is not a serious sport. And it's one that proceeds without any sort of policy on this.
0: This is a situation where... Zverev could have, from the start, simply said, These allegations are false. I take allegations of domestic violence seriously. It's a horrible thing. I will fight to clear my name. All said in a nice tone. And the coverage around this would be different. Completely different. It may not change the way you feel about him. But instead, from the start, we've gotten... It's bullshit. Which is a direct quote. We've gotten nasty, nasty tone. To everybody who's asked him about this, talking to you like you're an idiot, like you're an imbecile, like you are the scourge scum of the earth, that this is completely
1: ridiculous, that anybody would be asking this. How dare you? He said that only people with a low IQ could not understand what was going on here. He insinuated that the women who accused him were looking for something, uh, were opportunistic. He said it was bullshit. And it turns out this is just his personality, innocent or guilty. This is how he responds to allegations this serious.
0: He was asked in press, you know, some people are wondering whether you should be playing and he cuts them off and says journalists are saying that. Some who are actually interested
1: more in this story to write about and more about the clicks than the actual truth. Right. Zverev's aggressive legal team has sued media outlets, has threaten journalists with cease and desist and with lawsuits against them personally. This is is their tactic. They've even gotten stories removed from German media because it didn't uh, basically provide enough of a possibility that he didn't do those things and that what the person interviewed was saying were potentially false. Player after player after player gets asked about
0: this in press. I should say ATP players specifically about the fact that he's elected to the Players' Council, and one after the other, they say, I don't know anything
1: about this. Which is patently false. It's a lie. Pass says he is, quote, completely unfamiliar with it. Rude, quote, hasn't had much time to think about it. And on and on. And at this point, Your Honor, it's lying. You all know Riley Opelka was talking about it as if it were a joke, in 2021. At at Labor Cup. At Labor Cup. Everybody knows. Ignorance is not an excuse at this point. So stop lying. Just say, my management told me I wasn't allowed to comment. Period.
0: It's possible that they're referring to this latest development with the court date in this second accusation. Maybe specifically that's what they're talking about. But then you say, well, I know that there have been issues going on, but I'm not familiar with this latest development. Instead, You contribute to this situation where nobody is holding him to account in any way, shape, or form. And that allows Zverev to show up in press. And when he's asked whether it's appropriate for him to be on the Players' Council, he immediately fires back saying, why would it not be? When in fact, why wouldn't it be appropriate? Because nobody has a problem with
1: it. Nobody dares to even think about it. Based on what his colleagues have said... Publicly, and who knows what they say privately, why? Why would he feel unwelcome on the col- council? He was elected, and his colleagues refused to comment on the matter publicly. So, why would he feel unwelcome? And I'll tell
0: you why this is so sinister and seedy because this did not happen within the span of one isolated, say, four hour stretch. This was day after day after day. The first day this happens, these egomaniacs are all on Twitter. They can tell you <laughs> what Bobby Sue twenty four sixty three nine six seven said about them last week. Because they're aware, right? Mm. But they're going to sit here and pretend like they don't know this quote-unquote gossip that's been going on with one of the biggest stars in its game. Like the Netflix thing, they know about it. Right. The allegations, they know about it. They know why people are anti-Zverev. So this is total malarkey. And so... You have a situation where this is happening day after day after day. After day one, you mean to tell me that those players, agents, aren't calling them up and saying, hey, you should be prepared for when you get asked this question tomorrow. You have this starring feature in Netflix. You are the one with the target on your back. Be prepared to answer for it. And Taylor Swift did have something more substantial to say than most of the others, right? Like, I do not believe for one minute that these conversations are not happening behind closed doors, especially after day one, day two of this story continuing.
1: No, these conversations are happening, I guarantee, between agents and players. I wonder what the ATP has communicated to players. They knew these questions were going to come. The ATP clearly feels it has an interest in protecting one of its top 10 players. And Bad Toss on Twitter pointed out that when someone is accused of abuse... And often when we're presented with compelling evidence, communities almost always circle the wagons and protect the person accused. They rarely protect the person who was victimized or allegedly victimized. And what we're seeing here is an illustration of that. Have you ever heard of the bad apple theory? The idea that one bad apple spoils the entire bunch. Now, where have I heard this before? When I was five years old? Now, what is a real-world application of this concept? Uh, Police organizations? Sure. This was the provenance of ACAB, right? But we all learned about this when we were five years old. (laughs) We did, but here is a real-world application. Observe. You may not think you're a bad person. You may not think you are protecting an abuser, but by refusing to comment, by refusing to even hypothetically condemn the concept of intimate partner violence, you're creating a community that condones that behavior, that protects it and maintains silence around it. I still want to
0: check you a little bit there and and say alleged abuser, still at this point.
1: Okay. In cases of police brutality, when police rally around the alleged perpetrator, are they not creating an organization, an environment that would silence crimes like that that would lie about them that would create an an atmosphere that makes it more difficult and perhaps even dangerous to accuse somebody of that crime so do, this is not the same thing but you're seeing this pack mentality the circling of the wagons right but do you know it's probably an even better illustration what the catholic church
0: sure and just how long how many decades it took for that to be an issue that's even remotely properly dealt with. Mm-hmm. What does a good answer look like in this situation? If you're a player that shows up to press and you get asked about your colleague, if you're an ATP player, or you're asked about your colleague across the aisle, if you're a WTA player,
1: what does a good mm-hmm. answer look like? Let's workshop. Let's research Mama, to quote Gina Rodriguez. Do we want to quote Gina Rodriguez? No, it's a joke. It's just a meme. Okay, Let's okay. Let's research Mama. okay. <laughs> The real ones will get it, okay? But I think it's a fair question. If somebody is forced to answer this question in front of the whole world, what does a good answer look like? A good answer to me might start with, while I am unfamiliar with the details of this specific case, I have heard about the allegations, and I'd like to make clear that I condemn all forms of intimate partner violence.
0: I think a good answer starts with sounding like you're sincere. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the correct, most perfect answer, but to sound like you're giving it some thought.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I think- and I think that's where Iga's answer, while I don't think it's the best response that could have been given, I think that's where it went well. It's that's surely what, that's the what best. Yeah, that's what worked about it because it, it came off like it's something that she's thought about. That you are a person capable of thinking and engaging with these real life issues. Just because you're a tennis player and you're often insulated from the entire world around you. And people tell you all the time that sport and politics do not mix. They should not mix. You don't have to engage with these issues. You are a person. Right. What you, do you think about this? You're
1: a person who lives in the world, who has relationships. Iga certainly gave the best of the bunch. I want to be clear here. It's not even really her responsibility here. No. It's not her responsibility to give a good answer or the best answer.
0: But as the WTA number one and a longstanding WTA number one now, she's shown a willingness to take on that mantle of being a spokesperson, of engaging with these questions mm. and saying what she doesn't know, admitting what she doesn't know, but still offering what she thinks
1: yeah, which is really a hallmark of an intelligent person, someone who is big enough to uh, acknowledge what they don't know. And at her young age, it's, in,
0: it's indicative of somebody who reads, it, which it is. Yes. it's unclear that the majority of tennis players do. Mm-hmm.
1: What she said was, or part of what she said was, there's no good answer to that. I think it's up to the ATP what they decide. For sure, it's not good when a player who's facing charges like that is kind of being promoted. And that sounds so simple, right? But that's what all of the men fail to do, except for in some way, Taylor Fritz. The ATP failing to act in any meaningful way, failing to establish a policy or protocol when something like this happens, or even comment publicly in a significant way, has left this gulf and it has exposed your players to have to answer this question for you. So I want to acknowledge that. Yes, the players are being held accountable here. They're asking to answer for this because their organization has failed so miserably at doing so. Sure, but what's different about
0: this specifically this time for the men's players is the election to the Players' Council. Yes. That's something that they are specifically
1: responsible for. And I'd like to see that vote tally. Oh, I sure would too. Unfortunately, journalists don't have access, it seems, to the ATP leadership and ATP communications teams about this specific line of questioning. You're gonna get a press release only. What I wanna understand is what are ATP comms people, if anything, telling players? What's the company line on this? I think it's naive to think that there isn't one.
0: There is. I mean, I joked on Twitter that the memo is going to get leaked any moment now because the the answers were so rote. It sounded like everybody had been given a directive on how to approach this answer. It was that wild. It's either these players are all collectively dim or something else is at play here.
1: Right. And I, I wouldn't criticize them for being scared of the world's most aggressive legal team <laughs> because uh, we make these comments on a podcast that reaches not that many people Mm. in the the grand scheme of things. They're making comments on an international forum. Again, I'm sympathetic for them not knowing what to answer or not knowing the details of the case and feeling like they're unqualified to comment. But there is a comment to be made. There is at least the hypothetical condemnation of violence.
0: This is also not new. This has been going on for a long time. (laughs) You're being very generous. I
1: am. uh, Because I think there have been so many failures system-wide. I don't want to blame players entirely.
0: But yes, this is a continued organizational failure. A rotting from the head of the ATP. The entire organization stinks when it comes to this issue. They've dropped the ball. They said they would follow up. If something else came to light, something else has come to light... Still nothing. We're going off at this point of what you told us. right? right. You told us this and you still have allowed your organization to look this amateur as a premier professional sporting league on one of its biggest stages.
1: This was not unforeseen. Some of the only people displaying courage here are reporters who muster up the bravery to ask Alexander Zverev, in person, in press, a question like this, knowing you're going to get a nasty answer, that he's going to try to make you feel small. This is what he did in his most recent press conference. A reporter, the only English question, by the way. Which is not unusual
0: for his press conferences because...
1: Well, 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 we're not exactly talking about Carlos Alcaraz here, are we? Again, which is like the perplexing part of, if you do not protect this man, will the ATP collapse and die? Anyway, the only English question was asked by a female reporter who asked if he would attend the trial in person. He responded, wow, that's a question. I just played four hours, 40 minutes. That's not the first question I wanted to hear, to be honest. And she immediately says, it's the question I'm asking. Which is... Such a boss-ass move. I I mean, I, I just lay down my hat for that.
0: That's it for now on this issue. I'm sure when we come back in a few days with our next episode, something else will have happened. The overarching theme here continues to be that we do not know the bottom of the ATP barrel. We do not know how low men will sink.
1: Not just men, unfortunately. Uh, Speaking of rotting, Andre Agassi showed up with Justin Gimmelstaub in tow in Australia. Imagine coming to Australia as a four-time
0: champ to be feted, to bring out Norman onto Centre Court alongside Ashbaati. (laughs) And you are sat there in the crowd with this man... On your left hip. Mm -hmm. And apparently, Gimelstab is now acting in some sort of, quote, manager-type role for Agassi.
1: That's per Ben Rothenberg. Uh... I thought, I really thought,
0: naively thought, that we were rid of this. That we would seen the last one. It's been about four years. And so the comeback. This episode, these last two episodes, comebacks... This is another comeback. This dude is planning and plotting his comeback into tennis. And he is aided and propped up by
1: one of the sport's greatest. The sport treated him as a pariah for the past four-ish years. And even when the PTPA emerged, begrudgingly, the, the leaders were essentially pressured to say, oh, Gimelstab does not have anything to do mm. with this. They were begrudgingly because distancing themselves were, from him. they were pressed on it. And so now I guess enough
0: time has passed where the ATP has more important targets on their backs. Indeed, For him to slither on in
1: down under. <laughs> they sure do. Now let's move over to Rafael Nadal's big announcement after pulling out of the Australian Open. And what happens a few days ago? On his social media, he announces that he is an ambassador to the Saudi Tennis Federation and that he will be opening a branch of the Rafa Nadal Academy in Saudi Arabia. Do you remember
0: when this story about... When was it? It was when the whole Golf Live thing was happening. And then we got word that the WTA was taking the finals to Saudi Arabia... And we were wondering, what would it look like? How would it go down? How would it happen for Saudi Arabia to have a live-like takeover in tennis? What would need to happen? And we said it would need to be somebody big. They would need to get somebody big to make that happen. They would need a useful idiot, essentially. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, this is a dereliction of our duty maybe a blind spot because we are Nadal fans, but it was right there. It was staring us in the face. Nadal had opened his second academy in Kuwait. He had taken money from Kuwait to open that academy. In a way, it was always going to be him.
1: And it appears that this time, the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia is trying to avoid a live public relations problem. And At least for now, it doesn't appear that they're trying to build a rival tour or league or anything like that. It's more of like uh, sort of using the levers that already exist and moving some tournaments there, increasing investment. Of course, this is all part of the Saudi government's move to, well, launder its image through the promotion of sports. And they're doing it in a number of different sports. Don't call it sports washing. That's too woke. (laughs) Right.
0: I mean... Let's get Jordan Thompson on this podcast to find out what woke means, because we clearly have a different understanding. (laughs) Uh,
1: And the other thing is that oil will not always be there. The country does need to diversify its economy. It needs to find income streams when the oil dries up, which it will at some point. Mm -hmm. I know I refer to Rafa
0: as a, a useful idiot in this situation, and that may be inflammatory to some. It is a figure of speech. It is. But I do want to say that there is a lot more nuance to this story. The part of it that is just so jarring, though, is this slick-ass video that accompanies the announcement. It tells us that pretty much every girl in all the land, in all the Saudi lands, will have access to play. It tells us that the president of the Saudi Tennis Federation is a woman. I mean, how can you argue with this? <laughs> children and women in power. These are the things that you say that we are bad at. They stop short of putting in like a gay umpire in the video. And it would have been the perfect everything's okay here moment. And then you have Saint Rafa coming in to save the day and provide the opportunity for everybody.
1: Yeah, the foregrounding of children felt really cynical to me. Uh... And as Lindsay Gibbs said, it's one thing to make overtures and work with the Saudi government, but to actually do pre-packaged PR written by them and then just putting it out on your socials is is a different thing.
0: What are the kickbacks here? The kickback, one of them is the opening of the new academy. That has to be pumped full of Saudi cash, right? Mm-hmm. And it, I was driving home from work today and I was thinking about it and... It brought to mind these conversations that we've had over the years, some on air whereby people are always so protective of rich people's money and what they should or shouldn't be allowed to do with it, even if it's for things that are a little bit seedy, right? Well, that's their money. They can choose to do with it what they want. How dare you tell one person how they should give to charity? They've worked all their lives to make all this money, mm-hmm. and this is how this is how they choose. I mean, rich people launder their money.
1: In various, so in legal ways, in illicit ways. They, the assumption that being wealthy means being virtuous... Or the fact silly. that you've
0: packaged this thing as a good deed, that you've pumped your cash into this thing to cause and effect good, that makes you impregnable to critique. No, that's the cost of your freedom. That's the cost of your wealth. Yes. I'm not here to simp for you because you're a rich person. <laughs> People who have bought into this capitalist ideal... That more and more and more and more is best. That you should always soar for the money skies. Well, and also
1: if you have the
0: most, that means you worked harder than
1: everybody else to get it.
0: And that your Mm. motives are pristine. I guess my point here is, and we've seen it with Serena lately, these people, Roger, Rafa, Serena, they're supreme capitalists. Yes. (laughs) Like, make no mistake about it.
1: I always want to say when we talk about the move into Saudi Arabia that tennis already does business with a lot of nations who are up to no good. Mm-hmm. The there United, are many, many... I mean, the United States is not exactly looking so hot. We've you know been what to I mean? many
0: tournaments in that shithole country. The <laughs> land of your birth. You mean my, my shithole yes. country?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, You know, singling out Saudi Arabia as sort of... The evilest of them all is is disingenuous. I, th- I think it's still ripe for criticism. Like, it's not off-limits. But... Tennis already has business interests in countries that commit horrible crimes against mm-hmm. people that have bad human rights records. That treat women and queer people terribly. That treats the working class badly. Like, these are already realities... In the international sporting world, this is another one. How do
0: you take that stance for Peng Shuai with China, but then do business in Dubai, and then also pretend like everything's okay in the US when reproductive rights are flying by the wayside in so many states?
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm not comparing. You know, we're not doing a competition about... Who does it worse for more people, and we're not getting into that? Olympics over, you know, who would be murdered in which country because that's incredibly unseemly. And which
0: mode of murder is the worst?
1: Oh yeah, heard a lot. A lot of that
0: recently. Yeah, from Miss from, from the Good Wife. Well,
1: from supposed allies. Yeah, you know the Good Wife. Um, the media coverage of Rafa's announcement has been pretty horrible, <laughs> but. The big caveat here is, so what? Yeah, it's been horrible. Fans are mad. Why is it people horrible? On, what has been horrible? People about on it? Twitter, because it's all criticism, right? There are very few people saying, wow, this is amazing. But why does that matter? It doesn't matter. Tennis is moving there whether you like it or not. And they don't really care what we think. The
0: WTA finals is going to be happening in Riyadh. That's what SI tells us. Yes. I mean, as reliable as SI can be these days. Oh, John Wertham is out here publishing stuff that reads like AI generated articles lately.
1: Well, his, you know, the seed report which he does before every slam was full of errors. It was it was truly shocking. And it kind of makes you think there is no editorial process at this point. But but yes, Sports Illustrated reports that players agents are telling them that the finals are moving to Riyadh. There's been no official announcement. Again, Iga
0: has something thoughtful to say about this. She says, quote, There were rumors about sports washing. In my case, because I have nothing to do with Rafa and his decisions, it should be up to the federations and the governing bodies who decide if we're going to play there or not. If there would be some negative backlash, they should take the responsibility. Well, Bob's your uncle with that one.
1: (laughs) Iga truly knocking it out of the park this week with... uh responses in media, not afraid to critique her idol, Rafa. I do I honestly wonder I mean were I mean, they gonna announce let's say he was still in the tournament, was the announcement planned for that day regardless? That's a good question. Yeah.
0: Because this could be a lot more volatile toward him. It would have listen, it would have, would have taken a lot well. more
1: heat off of the Zverev mm-hmm. situation had this happened. I
0: guarantee you it would not have gone well if That day too shall come.
1: (laughs) A few uh, thoughts to kind of close this episode. We have a section that I want to leave to our next episode. Deserves a a longer treatment. Commentating. Andrea Petkovic has been heavily featured on the World Feed. And to the surprise of no one, has been lovely as a commentator.
0: I mean, uh, when people say that, it's like... What do you mean? I feel it undermines the good job that they do.
1: Oh, I didn't mean to mean, I didn't mean lovely to be belittling. No, I understand oh, okay. that. But it's like, oh, Petco is great, Petco is
0: great, of course she'd be good at this. It still takes a lot of skill that most people don't have. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. something with Petco has translated also into this gig that we wouldn't have known about before. And so for me, it was still a pleasant surprise. Oh, okay. I, I don't, didn't assume. No,
1: I only say that because. People have been praising her commentary for a long time at this point. This was my first extended listen. Okay.
0: And I think what's good about it is that there's
1: there's a poetry to it
0: that is not try hard, that is not boomski, that is not can you believe it? That it's, you know, like these trite, overwrought things that, quite frankly, the men do in commentary. It's thoughtful, it's self deprecating. It's generous, which I, which I appreciated. You know, you wanting to include Laura Robson courtside as much as possible in a thoughtful way. To have rapport with people. To not be seeming like you're trying too hard. And I say all this before she crashes and burns next week. And <laughs> You know, stop. No. Some really sad news from the Australian Open on the media side. Long time tennis correspondent, reporter, journalist, Mike Dixon collapsed and died in Melbourne.
1: He's written for the Daily Mail for many years. Surely you've seen his bylines before. Uh, A number of the journalists have written touching tributes, folks who have worked with him for decades.
0: Our thoughts go to everybody who's known him, worked with him, shared the press room with him all these years. I can't imagine what that's like. And then still having to carry on because the tournament is not stopping. Your bills still have to be paid. You still have your deadlines. It's
1: it's crazy. Some more uh, terrible news to end the episode. Mikhail Yushni's wife passed away recently, and Max Mirny is having a surgery on a malignant brain tumor. Jen Brady
0: has had surgery again. In the meantime, she's going to re-enroll in UCLA and will be an undergraduate assistant coach she previously completed two years of undergrad before going pro.
1: At UCLA. They won the national title in her freshman year, I believe. And Aslan Karatsev, also with
0: knee surgery. And he's going to be out for many months.
1: All right. Uh, didn't mean to end on such a, a depressing note there. That took a turn. Right. You have a lot to edit. Won't make this ending long. We will actually be back in a few days. Sometime early next week, Hopefully. Enjoy the tournament. GoFundMe is still open uh, throughout, what, a week after the Australian Open? You got it. I got it, it, finally. You can find that at our linktree, linktree.com slash thebodyserve, and I will append it to this episode's tweet as well. Thanks to everyone who has donated and shared. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James at Elliot JMR.
0: Two L's, two T's everything body serve related including our gofundme at linktree.com slash the body serve thanks for listening till next
1: time Thank thank you thank you very much